Fear stops us from achieving our true greatness. Are you a professional woman who is feeling stuck, unmotivated, or burned out? Are you worried about your wellness? Are you letting fear stop you from crushing your goals? If you answered yes to any or all of these, then this is the podcast for you. Dr. Charmaine Gregory, night shift emergency physician, burnout thriver, and wellness champion, along with everyday heroes just like you, will explore how to face fear in our lives and emerge victoriously. Dr. Gregory here. Did you know that I'm on YouTube as well? You can find me at Charmaine Gregory, MD. See you there. There. Hello, 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 Fearless Freedom Tribe. This is Dr. G, and we are back. And this week, we have a very special guest. Today, we have Sonia, and Sonia is going to tell you all about all of the things that she's up to and who she is. Fabulous. Thank you so much, Dr. G, for having me on your show. Um, I am Sonia Lewis. I consider myself a California girl, and that's, you know, indicative of the background that I've selected. Um, Grew up in the Bay Area, which is in San Francisco, Oakland area. And I really and truly, from a young age, um, thought about ways to make life better for little black and brown kids that look like myself. And so my adult journey has led me to be a high school social studies and history teacher. Um, I then left the teaching profession over about a decade now and I've been doing equity work. And so what that looks like on a regular basis is I go into organizations and we really and truly get down to the nuts and bolts of how are you leveraging equity? How are you making your team feel like they are included and that they belong? Where is the agency and how are policies and things constructed so that it applies to everyone across the board? Awesome, awesome, yeah. that's. Uh... That's definitely something that's needed in pretty much every industry. So every thank industry. you for doing that. <laughs> um, I know I know medicine went through, or actually I shouldn't say went through, because it's still going through that whole issue of equity, um, particularly since there is a, uh, there's t- starting to be a shift, but it's still not happening across the board well enough uh, as far as the amount of women who are, practicing medicine and in the different specialties. Like we do have some specialties that have a good amount of women in it, but then we have specialties that should and doesn't. So it's, it's always a little bit interesting, not only as far as how many women are in the specialty, but also how many women actually make it into the leadership roles within the specialty. Exactly. So, that, so there's equity when it comes to um, just and that's entree, right? And then there's equity when it comes to leadership. And so, you know, this is always a very interesting thing to see because, you know, you look at the medical school classes and there, you know, more and more women are going into medicine, it looks like. But then when you look at the, the specialty themselves, there's not, you know, that doesn't really correlate yet. Why? Because it's been many, many years where that was not the case. And so we're, we're working on playing catch up. And then if you talk about unrepresented minority, that's a whole other conversation because there are just, it's it's just, it's really, um, it's abysmal actually, because uh, I saw something the other day where it was talking about how 
for African-American males in medicine, the numbers of African-American males that are going into medicine are stagnant at the rates that they were in the 1940s, which is absolutely ridiculous. So, it's, it's very sad. It's very sad. Yeah. And, and that doesn't even take into consideration the disparities when we're talking about pay. So like you have Correct. the disparity between women and men, right? But then you have this greater disparity when it comes to black women and white men, which is, is so ridiculous. And we have to continue to prove ourselves and get extra training and all of these alphabet behind, alphabet soup, I say, behind our name to legitimize our profession and legitimize our experience that we come to the table with. Yeah. Oh yeah. Wow. It sounds like you're talking about medicine big time. <laughs> Every industry. Uh, yeah, no, I know. I, but I'm, I'm like, just, I'm kind of making a joke about it, but like, um, yeah. yeah, so it's, 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 it's interesting. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, you'd think 2021 would be in a better place, but uh, it's a constant uh, learning experience, Absolutely. constantly educating, which is, you know, tiresome. And then it's also, um, you know, it's just like uh, perception is another issue too. Like, Absolutely. If you cannot, if, there, if, the, if the perception is not there in the public eye, then it is very difficult to have it translated into the actual profession because if people think that if you're female or if you are Latino or if you're African-American that you're unable to do the thing, then they're not gonna give you the breaks that they, that they would if, if they believed in you, you know what I mean? Right. Even, if, right. even if you are super qualified, like, you know, like you said, it's, you know, you, you could go and you can get like all these degrees and you can be top of your class, et cetera, but you're still, uh, not seeing the same as a colleague who yeah. may not have as many um, accolades or have as many um, aspects of, like you said. So, yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's kind of a, a, a dicey little scenario. <laughs> it forces us oftentimes, it forces the marginalized group or the, the subjugated group to oftentimes figure out ways that they can sustain themselves out of the, the traditional hustle, right? So we have to be creative in ways so that we can um, earn money or get our get our name and recognition. It, we put on all of these, it forces us. I have a girlfriend who's in New York, one of my best friends from college, and she's a law professor. And so she's constantly like writing blogs and articles to like legitimize the fact that she's a professor. And I'm always mm -hmm. like, really, this is a requirement for you to get tenure, at which I understand. But to, and, and even to stay relevant, right? To a certain degree, you wanna have some level of relevancy, but at the same time, it's like, we have to figure out other ways to almost get the bag. And it's so that we can even the playing field so that we can feel like we're earning um, in a way that is equal to our counterparts. And I say, we, we're never gonna be equal and I'm not looking for equal um, and equality. I'm looking for equity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a difference. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness you know i um there was a cartoon that i've seen it kind of going around um with the you know the fence and their ball game and the different um the different size boxes right and i had i mentioned this to somebody before and they were like oh no like that isn't that even that isn't equity Right. Even that isn't like if you give people the different size boxes so they can see over the fence, that's not equity. 
equity is being able to play in the ball game. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's how, that was fascinating because I was like, wow, I never thought about it like that. Yeah, absolutely. It's one of those things, you know, and we have to start talking to young people who are witnessing us as adults, like flounder, like a fish on the side of, you know, uh, um, a bridge, like, okay, what are we doing on this shore? Are we like trying to get water to so that we can survive? Or are we trying to show off ourselves because we, you know, we're out of the water. And so young people are watching. And I think that the age that we're living is, you know, so I don't know how young you are, but I'm 50 years young and I can't imagine you know, what it would have been like as a child having all of the resources that like my children have at their fingertips. And so since they have access to all of these resources, you know, how do we steer them in the right direction to one, expose them to the things that are going to, you know, be um, positive impacts on their future, but also give them the tools to like have agency and voice. If you see something that's wrong in, in a system or in the dynamics of something, how do you have the, the gumption to say something about it? And then not just say something about it so that it helps you, the individual, say something so that it helps someone else. And so that to me, I think is going to be a huge lens shift, platform shift, framework shift when we talk about young people today. I had a young 22-year-old tell me a couple of years ago, Miss Sonia, um, us young people are not going to um, keep around these generational curses. We about breaking generational curses. And, and that was really eye-opening for me. Like young people see the trauma that we cause to each other and they're like, nope, not dealing with it. Nope, I wanna be healed from this. So imagine a world where our young people no longer have to seek therapy when they get 18 and 20 and 25 and they can just live and sustain. Mm, no, that's beautiful. <laughs> That is beautiful. And so, you know, so how did you, so, so you, you, you served for many years as an educator within the school system. So thank you for that. Cause uh, yeah. I know that's, uh, that's not an easy job. We've homeschooled our children since the beginning. So we completely, completely, completely appreciate teachers. Yeah. And so, um, you know, there's that. And then, and then you went from that to essentially educating in the um in the corporate world right I mean that's is that about right so tell us how did that transition happen was there any fear involved in that how did you kind of navigate that whole process yeah so I will tell you that you know God is a you know sometimes when God comes knocking at your door it's like okay are you listening and I knew that I wouldn't retire a teacher, strangely as that sounds, I knew that I wouldn't retire a teaching. I went into teaching at the age of 22 and I looked like some of the, some of the students that I was teaching. I, I've always taught high school. So I, I fit in and I look just like them. And so I knew that after 10, 15 years had passed, I was like, okay, this is getting redundant. This is getting old. I'm fighting this same fight. I know that I don't want to go into administration. What's next? Right. Mm -hmm. And I hadn't yeah. fully like, I hadn't fully articulated or thought about what is the next thing. And so really, and truly, I felt like God was forcing me out of the teaching position that I was in because it was like, we had a conversation. Hey, Hey, Sonia, Hey God, you know, let's figure out when this transition is going to be and let's make it as, as smooth as possible. And I was that, you know, that reluctant, hard-headed kid who was like, 
no, I got a paycheck and it's regular and we have benefits and I got kids to take care of. And so I was super afraid to make that leap into the unknown because I didn't know. And the idea wasn't to go into business for myself. I had no clue as what it meant to be an entrepreneur. So I was forced out. And that forcing out caused me to be extremely jaded and um, traumatized by the education system. And that like gave me fuel and fire to want to make sure that when we talk about equity, that we're talking about educational equity, that we're talking about gender equity, that we're talking about economic equity. And so lending my expertise and my voice and my privilege to help those who don't have. And so uh, long story short, the program I was running, um, I discovered that my principal at the time was siphoning money out of my program. Yeah. And so I was responsible in signing on those documents every year. And this is like a $100,000 project that I, I was responsible for running every year. And so I went into his office and I said, hey, we're missing about $15,000, $20,000 that's supposed to roll over until next year. Do you know, you know what's up? And he said, don't worry about it. Just sign on the line. And I was like, my training says that I'm supposed to account for every as close to possible penny as possible. And he's like, just sign on the line. I don't know what the big deal is. I will tell you that I spent, you know, $15,000 on this printer for another program. And so I said to myself, okay, this, one, this isn't right. And two, when we're talking about equity, the program that he spent the money on was a program that was of privilege. So the students who were in that program were, they, they came from privileged households. And the program that I was working with were marginalized students. So you're taking from students who have greater need, you're giving it to students who don't have a need, and you're telling me to sign on the dotted line. So I didn't feel good about it. I went to our district you know, administrators and eventually he said, you're not welcome to come back and teach here. And so the district's response was, okay, Sonia, we know that we can't fire you. You have stellar reputation and you do such an awesome job in the classroom. We'd like to offer you a job somewhere else. And every job that they offered me, I turned down. But because I had tenure, they had to pay me. And so I took a severance package where they paid me for three years. Um, it caused me to go into a little bit of a depression. And I then began to start and think, if this were the real world, the most perfect world for me, what would it look like? And so at the same time, students and parents were calling like, can you help me with this? Can you help me with that? And then that became my business. That's awesome story. Oh my gosh. Wow. I mean, kind of too bad for those administrators because they completely lost an asset. Um, but kudos because now, you know, now an entire area is getting the benefit of your resource, you know, so that's absolutely that, that worked out, you know, and then awesome that you got paid for like three years while you were seeking your I had a good that attorney. Right there, that right. right there is, is platinum. Right? I had a good attorney friend was like, okay, are you, you, you know, you went to the doctor and you're saying that you have all this anxiety and these heart palpitations. I want you to go to the doctor and get diagnosed. And I was like, diagnosed? You know, we as black women sometimes think that we are these super women. And so I, I totally fed, fed into that super women, you know, complex, like, ain't nothing wrong with me. Ain't nothing that, a, you know, a little bit of sleeping and a week's vacation wouldn't handle, right? Just, just take me off of work for it. And that's what I was really telling my doctor. And my doctor was like, no, 
So no, I think right i need you to pause i think that there's something that's going on here and i want you to go you know over to our um our psychology department i was like psychiatrist like i'm not going to see a therapist then when she said therapist i was like okay therapist sounds a little better than a psychologist right and my first time having a conversation with the psychologist they were like very clear like you are suffering right now for from depression and anxiety we one want to consider medication and we want, of course, to have your opinion and let's talk about this. But right. two, we think that it's important that you sit down and have regular um, conversations and interactions with a therapist. And so I wow. went down the journey of meeting with a therapist and mm -hmm. I, I refused to take medication. Um, but I, for about a good six to nine months, I was on my therapist's couch, couch on a regular basis. And it was the most beautiful thing. It was just helping me process the hurt and the pain that I had experienced in that corporate setting, like someone trying to control me and get me to compromise my integrity by signing something that was fraudulent in my opinion. And that was really powerful. And then ever since then, I was just like, okay, let me be my own boss and let me figure this thing out for myself. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's just say that on this show, we are very happy to hear things like that in the sense that like, you know, um, I'm a staunch believer, and even if you have, even if you're W two, that you should also have a 1099, or you know, you should also have a business on the side, because um, there's nothing, nothing like being your own boss. It is, Absolutely. it is a great feeling, and you know, you describe, you describe the feeling and the freedom that it comes with, and um, it just really helps you to explore your creative side. It helps you to just do some things that you probably wouldn't be able to do if you're within the box that yeah. is, you know, uh, an employed position. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't have an employed position. That's not what I'm saying. I hope I nobody takes it that way because I have an employed position. Right. But, you know, I also have means through which I can express my own creativity otherwise. And I am okay. my own boss in those areas. Now, it's always awesome to talk to somebody who has, that as their 100% um, employment issue. Um, so that's awesome. Congratulations and yeah. kudos because it, it takes us a different set. It takes a different skill set to be an yeah. entrepreneur. It also takes a different mindset to be Absolutely. an entrepreneur. And Absolutely. so, you know, clearly you have done so successfully and clearly you went through a transition point that actually most people don't go through so you actually went through therapy and so you were able to do a deep dive and truly do some hardcore personal development that probably prepared you in stellar fashion to be an entrepreneur and to yeah. and, and allow you to be successful so yeah i mean that pathway even though probably at the time you were like okay this is not me i don't want to be that label you know it, it turned out that it was the best thing because it, it prepares yeah. you so well you know yeah and i can tell that your mindset is very strong because of what you're saying so yeah no that's 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 a great story thank you for sharing that that's uh Absolutely. that's amazing Absolutely. and so now you have to tell people like how like you describe what you do now you have to okay. tell them um about aspire what it means how they can get in contact with you if they're looking for your services yeah 
So Ascribed Educational Consulting, we started off doing a lot of work where we were helping young people transition from high school to the real world. So that meant like college applications, scholar finding scholarships, writing your um, entry essay, um, and being prepared for the real world. And then quickly, schools would call us and say, hey, can, you're doing this work. Can you develop a program where we can offer that at our school site? That then led to... So we've had a couple of transitions within Ascribe over the, the time that we've been in business for 12 years now. That then led to, as I was creating program and writing content, it led to administrators saying, hey, I respect your ear and your eye. Can you come in and like assess you know, a group or a department that, that's kind of struggling? And so then I would do these assessment and climate checks um, with schools and organizations, which like opened the door for me doing um, diversity and equity training. And so now, because of last year, because of the unfortunate murder of George Floyd, I can call a thing a thing. And so when I am approached, and oftentimes I don't have to approach organizations, I will say over this past 18 months, 90% of my clients have come from word of mouth referrals. And so I don't have to market. I don't have to say, hey, this is what I do. I don't have to call up and be like, hey, do you need help with this? Folks are just hearing about what I do. And so I appreciate platforms like this because oftentimes leaders of organizations will say, yes, it's a problem that we have racism embedded in our systems, right? But I don't know what to do to change that. And I say that there's one, there's no quick fix. And so if you are an organizational leader or an executive and you're saying like, yes, I want to do this work and bring it to my team and organization, what I do is I, I offer a couple of things like, I do one-on-one -on -one coaching with, with organizational leaders and executives so that they can have the platform to actually talk this talk. Because people who have been impacted by racism, they can see you coming a mile away if you don't have you know, the right things in place. And so that's one part of it, right? The other part of it is organizations are looking to cross the T's and dot the I's and check those boxes that we've done this equity you know, piece. And so mm -hmm. I tell those groups, for me, I don't like the one and dones. And if that's all that you need me for, I think that you can find there are lots of equity and, and diversity coaches that are out there. So the majority of my clients are long-term. I work with them from one to five years. Um, I'm working with whole teams. We are coming up with strategies to leverage equity, leverage a system where um, humanity matters, where people on your team feel like they belong. And so at the end of the day, we know that people who feel like they belong, they produce more, they're happier, and they want to be there. And so that's kind of what we do in a nutshell. And folks can get a hold of me. I am on Facebook and Instagram at Ascribe, A-S-C-R-I-B-E, success. And, you know, it's simple. I ascribe to success. That's what we want. Um, my nonprofit is Edify Humanity, and that's just E-D-I-F-Y humanity, because we want to make sure that everyone has a voice and a seat at the table. Awesome. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, that's great. So I'm hoping that you get tons of people reaching out to you <laughs> even more because it sounds like you're in high demand currently. Yeah. So, you know, that is, um, so thank you for sharing that, uh, how you transitioned, how things have been going for you. Um, and it sounds like you had, um, you had an uptick in business with the pandemic, it sounds like, and yes. uh, what happened with Mr. Floyd. So 
Um, how has that been? Have you had to scale up or ha what have you done in order in to respond to that? Yeah. Have you had to do a, any kind of changes to the business? Absolutely. So before I would be, if I had a major project or a major client, I would just call people in to help and, and do some contracting with me. Now I have a team and I am very blessed in the sense that my team, two of my members on my team are my mother and my daughter. And so they saw me when the pandemic hit and, and trying to create content and just not having enough arms to do all of the work. And so my sure. mom was like, I'll come in and any kind of applications that you need filling out, I'll take care of that piece. And I'll take care of, of media as much as possible. My daughter was like, I like doing back end work. So as you get clients that are coming in, let me put together templates. Let me put together all of your data pieces. And then from there, I was able to um, pay another friend in community to round up my team. And not only are we all Black women, we are intergenerational. So we come with different lenses of and perspectives, um, which is really awesome. And I say unique. Um, and it's a family business. So when my kids are my brand ambassadors, right? I can awesome. make them lead a session <laughs> because they hear me all the time. You know, when we're talking at home, um, they know, oh, they can recognize when a microaggression is happening. And, you know, I'm talking about as my eight-year-old will say, hold on, are you gaslighting me? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. yes. <laughs> so we're giving them language to, one, maybe one day they, they'll take on, you know, the legacy that I'm building and leave behind. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> fantastic. And then, you know, me? in the next, next six months or so, we'll be looking to hire someone else that's more permanent. So. No, that's fantastic. I love that it's a family business. It's so yeah. cool. And, you know, that's always, um, it's always something that, like, we say in our house, we're like, mm, got to keep it in the family, like, even with a cousin. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. So, no, that's, that's, that's great. I love that it's family. That's so awesome. <laughs> I mean, in a way, that is part of generational wealth creation when you are able to integrate your family into the business because then you know it's kind of like uh it's kind of like that old adage where you say you know you could take a person down to the lake and you can yes. you know you can like catch fish with them and give it to them and then they'll eat but they'll kind of eat for like that moment but right. if you actually teach them how to fish then they're able to eat for their lifetime like that's Absolutely. a skill that's you know that's that's everlasting so no that's fantastic i love hearing that yeah <laughs> i you know I, I didn't know ever that I had a bone or, or an inkling or a skill set that would, you know, be in the entrepreneurial world. I just didn't because, you know, I, you know, you grow up in this society and it's just like, go to college, get a job and, you yeah. know, work your way up the ladder. And, and that's your, you know, level of success. And I can tell you that the moment that I left that nine to five, I was like, I'm so done. And I'm one of those type of people that when I'm done with something, I'm done. So. For example, my husband teases me all the time. You can't go back to teaching because you let your teaching credential expire. Like legitimately, I would have to go back and take some classes to re-up my teaching credential. And so I don't want to make, you know, have to go back and sit in the classroom and, and take some more classes about stuff that I know just to get a, another piece of paper. So I'm just like, yeah, the way that my mind works is like when I'm done with something, I'm done. And, and I don't look back. So when I made the decision to go into um, business for myself, I was like, no, we're going to build this and continue to build. But there have been times, you know, that I've had to struggle. Um, and, and I hear the the naysayers in the background, like, 
okay, your business isn't doing well this year. You know, I can remember for a few years in a row, my, my tax preparer was like, we are going to have to decide if this is a hobby or if this is a profitable business. And hearing that in the psyche is like, okay, what are we doing here? Right. But at the same time, I knew what I wouldn't go back to. And so I had family members and friends like, hey, come and apply for a job with this organization. And I might, you know, apply, but I was just like, my energy, even if I went for an, inter in an interview, I knew it wouldn't be right and I would not be offered the job. So it was better that I just stuck to, you know, doing the things that would build the business. And so it's, it's worked out. It is definitely my forte and I can never see myself working for someone else like that again. I love that you mentioned about the um, <clears throat> the fact that the trajectory in business is not linear. It is very much, you know, like random, like all over yes. the place oftentimes. And there are going to be lots of nadirs in there where you're going to be questioning whether or not you should continue. But it sounds like your why is very powerful. You mentioned it. You said, you know, this right. is not, I'm not going to go back to this. Once I'm done, I'm done. And right. so you had the fuel to get you through those rough bits. And I think a lot of times people don't realize that. Like there's, so, so there's fear that plays a role there, but the yeah. fear is overcome by the fact that you have your drive and your why is much greater than the fear. And yeah. so it pushes you through the quote unquote failure, which I always say is our lessons. They're not actually lessons. failures. You know, true failure really is if you just stop altogether, right? Because yeah. then, you know, then you'll never know, like, how awesome you would end up being. And so, you know, so that is awesome that you even mentioned that because those are the keys that a lot of people, when they go into business for themselves, they don't necessarily realize it. They think that it's going to be like, you know, you know, you look at these people on social media and it's like, oh, this looks like they had, like, instant success. You look at people like... Um, like Musk and Elon and, and, um, and uh, Bezos, and you're like, oh my God, look at them, they're so successful. But yes, they are, but check it. They had moments when they were like pounding their head against the wall and they were like, it's not working. And they had to go back to the drawing board and redraft the plan and then try to execute that plan. They had to look at the things that didn't work out and figure out how can they modify it so that it would work better. And you know, they went through those lows, but the difference between somebody who is highly successful like yourself and a person who quits is that exactly that. Absolutely. You didn't quit. Absolutely. Yeah. And I would also say to, to folks is that, you know, measure what, de define what success is to you. Like for me, um, being a millionaire is not successful, right? And so, being able to take money out of the question now, like, I, you know, I like nice things, don't get me wrong. And, and I want to get paid for the va and the value. Uh, and I value what I do and what I bring to the table. But I knew that my driving factors weren't money at the end of the day. There are clients that I take and I do pro bono, right? There's work that I want to do. And I know that's important to do just for the sheer fact that this person may be able to, because of word of mouth, share what I do with someone who is maybe the next biggest paying client that I have. But in this moment, being able to offer my assistance is, is important. And so I pick and choose those opportunities as well. And so being able to one, understand your why, and then two, determine what your motivation is. Like if you know that you're motivated, like I have one, I'm, I'm the mother of six boys. I married in my, I married, yes, this, 
my womb brought forth six babies to, to the world and all boys. And then when I married my husband, I inherited four bonus children. So that's 10 there. My, um, one of my bonus, my bonus children, their mother passed um, about 10 years ago and she had three kids. And so we kind of adopted them. So that's 13 and we have two grandchildren. So we have all these kids running around and they are all like different from night and day sometimes. But I have one kid who is like, I'm about my money. Not only am I about my money and and my hustle to get money, I'm a saver. So I can look at my brothers and sisters and be like, you need to borrow some money because I got you, right? So he is very money driven. So like if someone calls and says, hey, do you want to do this? He'd be like, are you paying me? Because then that's going to decide the level of commitment from him. Whereas I have another son who is just like, I'll give it to you. Just just, what is it? I just want to help. And he just will like give anything. It could be like to an animal that's out, you know, mom, we got to pick this animal up and take it to the, you know, to the, to the vet, to the clinic. It could be anything. It could be, he's my favorite friend to go out and do community service with, because I don't have to, I don't, he's not going to ask for anything in return. Whereas my one that's money driven, he's like, mom, I'll go, but you're going to have to pay me. And it could be pay me in, in going to a restaurant or pay me in shoes. Some kind of payment. You got to pay me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. That is so funny. They really are very different. <laughs> Even if you just have two, or, you know, yeah. like us, we have three, like every one of them is different. So it's, it's really fascinating just to see how, uh, how their personalities are and, and what they, what they're driven by. Like you said, I mean, it's just, uh, it's, it's really interesting. Awesome. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome that you have all those kids. Oh my goodness. Oh, They're my, my goodness. heart. Thank I mean, you. it's, 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 I'm sure it's, uh, I'm sure there's a huge spread in the ages, right? Because, yeah. You know, you my oldest, yeah. My oldest bonus child is 40. And so, oh, wow. and, yes, <laughs> my husband is, is 10 years older than I, then there's me. And then my, there's my oldest bonus child. So all of my children, they really and truly ha- like have a in-home second mom. Like she's their okay. sister, but it's like, no, if something were to happen to me or to dad, you know that you have someone even beyond, you know, like grandma and grandpa, you have someone who would, who knows you intimately, who would be able to step in and take care of, of business the way that they know that we would take care of business. So yeah, they range in age from 40 and, my, and our youngest is eight. And so, wow. and his, his name is Omega intentionally because he is the last. <laughs> that is oh, it. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. You sound like you're a beautiful family. That yeah. is awesome. Wow. Okay. And so, you know, we're, we're at that part in our conversation where we do a tradition on the show and it's a fill in the blanks. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. All right. So the first one is to me, fearless freedom means. Ooh, fearless freedom means having a voice being heard. Okay. Okay. And next one is if I am fearless, I will. Ooh. If I am fearless. Ooh, that's a hard one, Charmaine. If I am <laughs> fearless, right? That that's super personal and it, you know, if it's causing me to reflect, like if I am fearless, um, 
I, I, you know, I have to go to that voice thing. Like I, I can't be silent, you know, fearlessness to me is like speaking up. And so I can't be silent. Okay. Awesome. And then the last one is my battle cry is. My battle cry right now is the future is anti-racist. That is my battle cry. And I say it everywhere I go. I swear I'm going to get a t-shirt with the hashtag, the future is anti-racist. Um, but yeah, that's my battle cry right now. And so we're doing everything to lift and center equity. Awesome. 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 So did you want to um, just want to say your contact information once again, so that everybody can hear that? Yeah, so Ascribe Educational Consulting, you can find us at www.ascribesuccess.com or you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Ascribe Success. And I look forward to chatting with anyone that comes from this platform. This was awesome and beautiful. Thank you for taking time out of your busy day and being on the Fearless Freedom of Dr. G podcast. We appreciate you. Absolutely wonderful.